0: Hey church, I want to invite you if you're here at home, just take a moment to behold God. You see through his son Jesus. With unveiled face, we can see the glory of God, that we may know him and may have life his name. So take a moment. Behold his beauty. He's an awesome, awesome God. Lord, may we never lose You are worthy of all praise, God. You are worthy of our worship. Not just because of what you've done, but because of who you are. God, amen. Lord Jesus, we ask. Open our spiritual eyes, Holy Spirit, that we may behold you again with fresh eyes. As we come to your word, God, give us hearts to listen, eyes to see. Lord, whatever it is we are going through, we know that nothing compares to beholding you. So help us to focus this morning on who you are. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. You may be seated here on side. If you're at home, good morning, everyone. Thank you, worship team, again, for a powerful time of worship. Thank you for leading us to behold Jesus good morning guys for those of you on site i am so glad to be back i'm so glad that you are back and um let's continue to cherish these moments that we have together to fellowship with one another we are continuing our study of the book of john we are in week four at the moment but before we open the bible i have a who am i quiz now i have a uh any of you know fantails? This morning we had a lot of youth come, so this is part of my childhood growing up. We had fantails; they're like chocolate-covered caramel lollies, you could say. Those of you at home, maybe you have some fantails with you, right in your pantry. But uh, we are going to take a quiz from a fantail, uh, and I know it's. We're at church, and I know at home, like, I won't be able to hear your answer, but for the sake of it, feel free to type it in the chat if you know at any point who this person is, okay? Feel free to shout it out. The one this, this morning, uh, this is a completely different person. So here we go. Who am I? Okay. Now, I did struggle to read the text because it is quite small, but um, I'm going to give it an, and It's wrinkled, so... I'm gonna do my best to read smoothly. Born in Texas in 1981, she was the lead of the group Destiny's Child. And (laughs) I was like, that's easy. And also starred as Foxy Cleopatra, for those of you who are Austin Power fans. Uh, And Dina Jones in Girls*. Okay, I'm just going to read a little bit more, okay? We all know it's Beyonce now, but I'm just going to read just a little bit more as to what the facts about her are. In 2009, Forbes listed her as number four on the most, on the 100 most influential celebrities in the world. She has been quoted as saying that to get over her shyness, she's developed a personality named Sasha Fierce. If any of you have been to a concert, you would have seen Sasha. And she gave birth to her first child in 2012 to a husband rapper named Jay-Z. And they named their daughter Blue Ivy Carter. Now, this is clearly a bit old because I think she's also had twins after that. But Beyonce. The point I'm making, before we get into the Bible, there is a point, is that there is a lot that we can know about someone, about a person, without actually knowing them personally. You can, today you can browse somebody's social media account profile and you can learn a lot about them. Their hobbies, you can learn about their lifestyle preferences, you can learn about where they ate yesterday, when their birthday is and what they do for a living. You can even learn about the name of their pet if they had one. And even if you were to browse the social media profile of someone you've never met before, and you happen to be walking down the street and suddenly see that person, you would would, uh, be able to recognize them. And not only that, you could probably start a really engaging conversation with them. For example, if I were to see Beyonce walk down the street, okay, just pretend she's not as famous as she is, but if I was able to see her um, and there wasn't other people around, not only would I recognize Beyonce, I'd be like, wow, that's Beyonce, but I could ask her questions about her husband. Hey, how's Jay going? Or what about Blue? How's she going? Has she started school yet? How old is she? In psychology though, this is still considered as impersonal knowledge. Social psychologists would argue that knowing a lot about a person doesn't mean you actually know them. So what does it mean to know someone? According to psychology again, personal knowledge or to know someone is to know information that is particularly intimate or private. So you could know a lot about the external details of Beyonce's life, but until you were to see the aspects of her heart that were hidden from the public, that even the paparazzi did not know, the specific concerns that she has for her children, the fears she's currently uh, wrestling with, or the issues that she may be having in her marriage with Jay. It's not until you know these intimate details of her life that you could begin to then say, I know Beyonce. Now the same principle applies with our relationship with God. There's a difference between knowing a lot about God and what he's done, Versus knowing God personally. John, the author of the gospel that we are studying, wants his readers to see Jesus for who he is. He clearly states his purpose. He's one of the only uh, gospel writers who states his purpose. And he does this at the end of the book. In John 20, verses 30 to 31. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. You see, John claims, that the Creator God revealed Himself to us. He has pitched His tent among His people in the person of Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh. And He did this in order that you and I, women and men all, over, all across the world, might see Him and thus come to know God personally and find life. Theologian James, Dr. James Boyce commented that faith is believing in something or someone on the basis of evidence and then acting upon it. If we go to the next one, in John's gospel, we have an accurate record of things that were said and done in Palestine almost 2,000 years ago by a Jew named Jesus of Nazareth. And that are presented to us as evidence for us, for his extraordinary claims. So if you are here or if you're tuning in online and you do not consider yourself a Christian, I encourage you to carefully consider John's eyewitness testimony and the evidence that he provides in this book for the full deity of Jesus as we make our way through this gospel teaching series. For those of you who are Christian, I pray that you will see Christ in fresh, new ways as we continue to study together, that you would not just focus on all that jesus has done every time you read through the scripture you're like okay he did this he did it's not about memorizing more but instead that you would behold him that you would look at him for who he is because as our knowledge in jesus grows so our confidence in what he says he has done also grows So today, the text that we are focusing on is in John chapter 1, verse 35 to 42. If you've been marking that in your Bible, feel free to turn that with me. Otherwise, we can read together from the screen. John chapter 1, verse 35 to 42. It reads this. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus and he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought Peter, or Simon, to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. John, the author of this gospel, had already introduced us to John the Baptist in a couple of verses before this as the man who was sent from God to bear witness to the truth about Jesus Christ. You see, John the Baptist played a crucial role in launching Jesus' ministry. And this testimony of John the Baptist caused oh sorry. John records John the Baptist publicly pointing Jesus out as God's lamb as God's lamb to the crowds, the one that God has sent to die, a sacrificial death for the world. And you have to understand. John the Baptist was a preacher, he was a charismatic, Person who had a lot of followers when he preached, the crowds would come. But when Jesus appeared, he drew the crowd's attention to Jesus. He pointed it out, This is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now, John the Baptist had recognized who Jesus is, even though Jesus was dressed in flesh as a human being. He recognized who Jesus is because of something that happened at Jesus' baptism, all right? He saw God's Spirit come upon Jesus and resting on him, which is evidence that Jesus is the Son of God who will baptize not just with water, but with the Holy Spirit. So at that moment, at the baptism, when John saw the Spirit of God come resting, he knew this was the one God had sent to be the Messiah. And since then, he recognized who Jesus truly was. Now the day after John the Baptist has proclaimed this to the crowds that he was speaking to, he repeats this proclamation to his two disciples when Jesus walks by and his testimony caused them to follow Jesus. See, again we see the humility of John the Baptist who embraced his calling to point away from himself and towards Jesus. It didn't matter that he was losing followers and that his ministry was decreasing. He was willing to step aside in order that others might see Jesus and know them for who he is. Now John, the one who writes this gospel, was one of the two disciples who John the Baptist witnessed to. It was him and Andrew who then followed Jesus because of the testimony of John the Baptist. So here we see the importance of being a human witness to Jesus. It's a great necessity because people will come to faith by hearing a witness. You see, it's It's good and all that you as a Christian could live an upright life and perhaps you could gain others' attention when they see your integrity, how hardworking you are. Perhaps they will see that you are a person of good character. Now that's all well and good and that is part of our witnessing. But unless we tell them that we're this way because of Jesus, they're not going to recognize Jesus in your life you've got to speak out. That's part of witnessing too. You see, those who don't know about Jesus, they didn't grow up at church. They haven't read the Bible. Why should they? But for anyone who wants to, I do encourage you to do it. But you see, like, the general population, they wouldn't know a lot about Jesus. So just by observing your life, no matter how obedient you are to God, they're not going to recognize Jesus necessarily. In fact, they may assume that you're the good person, or you go to church on Sunday, or you do this at church, or so you must be the good one. But you see, for our witness to be effective, we need to point out to those we are witnessing that we're not the light. It is not me, not I. We are not the one who is good, but we have come to know Jesus who is the true light and He has changed our lives. You see, that's where your verbal witness does matter. You need to talk to people about Jesus because they need to know it's not you who is good. It's Jesus who you know, who is the light, who has changed you. John the Baptist, he made sure that his followers and his listeners were clear on the fact that he was not the Messiah. You see, he was baptizing people. Now, that was odd. For, for a rabbi or, like, or, or, or Jewish teachers in those times, for you to be dunking people in water, that was weird. Rabbis didn't do that. So, so John the Baptist was doing something rather odd in those times, and he was attracting a lot of attention, and he was saying he was baptizing them for the repentance of their sins. But you see that's why he needed to make it clear. I am doing this, I'm this way, not because I am the light, not because I am the Messiah, but he is the one. I'm just preparing the way for the Messiah who is to come. His testimony always emphasized Jesus as the superior one. He was an effective witness because he never drew attention to himself, but he always made it about Jesus. John the Baptist had experienced a personal revelation of God at that baptism, and he led others to believe in Jesus personally. The goal of his ministry was not for people to just know a lot about Jesus. You see, he knew a lot of the Old Testament. When Jewish leaders came to him, he was quoting the prophet Isaiah. He knew the Old Testament. He knew scriptures. But he wasn't telling his followers about Jesus just to unload a lot of information about him. He wasn't doing that. He cared that they would know Jesus personally. This means that he had their life and their destiny in view when he was witnessing. He really cared about them. He really saw them for who God sees them as. And I think as leaders, we need to remember that. It's not a duty to lead a life group just to teach the Bible, just to teach people about Jesus. Many people will have a personal journey with Jesus that are different to yours you've got to understand that they must seek Jesus for themselves, and they must see him and experience him for themselves. John the Baptist's followers had been baptized for the repentance of sin, so he knew that they were actually looking for the Messiah. So when John saw the Messiah, he says, that's him. Now go, follow him. You don't have to follow me anymore. You found him. Go follow him. As disciple makers, let us check where we are calling people to focus. Are we asking people to focus primarily on us? on how much we know about God, on how much we have accomplished in God's name, on how much God has blessed us, on how faithful we have been through our suffering. Are we calling people to focus on us or to behold the person of Jesus Christ? In our hearts, we must set apart Christ as Lord. And seek to bring people to love Him and admire Him rather than love us. We don't need to sell God to people. We just need to introduce them to Him. We just need to invite people to go and see Jesus for themselves. For a moment, I'd like to focus now on Andrew and John's first encounter with Jesus. This is what John records as the first words that were spoken by Jesus when he first met them. What are you seeking? In other words, what do you want? The question is, what do you want? A story is told of a woman walking along the beach. And she stumbles on a genie's lamp. Now, she picks it up and she rubs it and a genie appears, all right? And he offers her one wish. So he's clearly not Aladdin's genie. He asks her, now, what will that wish be? The woman didn't hesitate for a moment and she reached in her bag and she opened up a map and she said, you see these countries in the Middle East, they've been fighting. Make them stop fighting. That's my wish. Now, the genie looked at the map and said, listen, now, these countries have been at war for thousands of years. It can't be done. Try make another wish. So she thought for a moment. and She's like, well, technically, I've never really been able to find the right man for me. You know, someone who's considerate and fun, who likes to cook and always helps with the cleaning, who's attractive and loves my mother, who doesn't watch sports or play games all the time, but who's always just going to be faithful. That's what I wish for. The perfect man for me. The genie looks at the woman, lets out a sigh. Bring me the bap. Come here. Now, Jesus asks you, what do you want? He doesn't ask, what do you know? He doesn't ask, well, who do you seek? He does, he's God. And in asking what you want, technically, he already knows because he's omniscient. But he asked this question to Andrew and John to challenge them to consider their motives to look at their inmost desires and longings. What are your inmost desires and longings? You see, God cares. He asked because he cares. It's not a trick question. It's not a question that he wants to exert himself in. He asked because he wants to connect with you and he cares. What do you want? This question cuts to the core of who we are. The ache in every human being, our desire for for meaning, our desire for purpose, our desire for love. Andrew and John did not answer this question directly, but instead they asked Jesus, well, where are you staying? Perhaps they were intimidated by him, so they didn't really answer that question. But they weren't really asking where Jesus was just going to sleep that night. They were requesting to spend time with Jesus. They were showing a willingness to follow him. And Jesus replied to them, as he will say to you, come and you will see me. Come. This was Jesus' invitation to discover for themselves who he truly is. For a lot of us, when we consider following Jesus, we kind of just list out the pros and the cons. Jesus did say you count the cost, but we kind of treat that like um, a calculative uh, analysis. And we go, here are the cons, here are the pros. Maybe I'm not ready yet to follow Jesus. But you see, Jesus says, come and then you will see. Come, follow me. John recorded the precise time of his encounter with Jesus to be the 10th hour, which means it was about 4 o'clock in the afternoon, and he and Andrew uh, had spent the night with Jesus. Now, the conversations that they had weren't actually recorded in the Gospels, in any of them. But you can imagine that they were simply listening to God. This was the Son of God. And He was speaking directly to them. Jesus that night was giving an insight into the mind of God Himself. Imagine the excitement they would have experienced that night, being with Jesus. It was so exciting, in fact, that when the morning came, Andrew immediately went to find Peter, his brother. And then he said to Peter, we found the Messiah. We found him. Andrew had now seen Jesus for who he is. He came and he saw And the first thing he did after his spiritual eyes were opened was to bring his brother to see him too. He was getting people to come and see whom he had seen. Andrew's first act as a believer was to share his faith. Now, Andrew is less known than Peter. Andrew was often introduced to us, in fact, in the New Testament as Peter or Simon at the time's brother. But Andrew, he played a significant role in the progress of the gospel. He brought Peter to Jesus. That's a big deal. The role of personal witnessing, having one-on-one discipleship conversations over a coffee or over brunch, That's often downplayed in churches. It's always more glorified. You know, some of the more uh, like preachers and teachers, they're a little bit more glorified in their roles at the church. But the, the truth is God has called everyone to go and make disciples. Your role in the kingdom of God matters just as much, if not even more. If we did not have Andrews, we're unlikely to have Peters. Now on a side note, our family members can be the hardest people to reach with the message of the gospel. Why? Because they know us so well. They know us inside out. They have front row seats in seeing whether our decision to follow Jesus has led to a genuine change at all. They have seen our selfish acts. They've seen us at our worst. They've seen us when we're super angry. (laughs) And they would know whether Christ occupies the highest point in our life or whether we do. They would know it. They'd be able to discern it. And so often witnessing to your family members is one of the hardest things. But Andrew, he took the challenge. In fact, what we know, we don't know a lot about Andrew. We actually know more about Peter from the Bible. And if you are familiar with Peter's character, just having read the Gospels, you would know that Andrew would probably be living under Peter's shadow as the younger brother. I mean, even in the Gospels, he wasn't as represented as much as Peter. But despite this, He wasn't going to let anything personal get in the way. He was willing to take second place so that his brother might see Jesus. Andrew wanted so much for his brother to know Jesus that when he went to him with the message, we have found the Messiah, what he was doing was he's not just going to talk about his time with Jesus. Guess what? I spent time with him. He said this, he said this, he said this, he said this. this." You should have been there. He doesn't say that. Instead, he says, come and you will see him too. And there's not even a record of Andrew arguing with Simon. He merely invited him to come and see. He extended the same invitation that Jesus gave to him. Now, Andrew only appears three times in John's Gospel, but in every one of those mentions he is recorded to have brought somebody to Jesus. In John chapter 6, verse 8 to 9, Andrew brought uh, a young boy who had five loaves and two fish. And then Jesus did a miracle with that and fed more than 5,000 people. And then in John chapter 12, verse 20 to 22, Andrew brought some Greek people, some Gentiles to meet Jesus. And in every case, Andrew is barely mentioned. He did not draw attention to himself. He was simply concerned about bringing others to Jesus. When Andrew witnessed to his brother, he had no idea what the future held. He didn't know what his brother was going to be. That Peter would become the apostle by which God would build his church. But Andrew simply wanted his brother to know Christ. It was that simple and it was that pure. When Peter met Jesus, Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You see, when you come to Jesus, he knows you. He sees you. He says, you are Simon, son of John. Jesus can see you. You shall be called Cephas. Now, John doesn't say why he changed Peter's name to uh, Simon's name to Cephas, which is the Aramaic word actually for rock, and that translates then in the Greek to Peter. But over time, we see Jesus transform Simon's character to match the new name that he had given him. He used Peter as the foundational leader. In the earliest days of the church. And this shows that Jesus knows you, but he also has the authority and the power to change your identity and your destiny. You see, with Jesus, he sees you, and if you would come to him, he would declare you already as whatever he, you don't have to earn this God given identity, he declares it to you. And then He transforms you. And then He works on you. Now, yes, it's slow. Even in my life, it's slow. But as we behold God, He will con- trans- continue to transform us into His likeness. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. You see, before Andrew and John became witnesses, they first spent time with Jesus. It's not that they were spending time with John the Baptist. They were already following John the Baptist. They were were spending time with Jesus himself. The story reminds us of the other story, if you remember, after Jesus' resurrection, he was walking and he met two disciples that were on their way to Emmaus. And the disciples hadn't recognized him, and he started a conversation with them. And then, he started to talk about why He had to die, why He had to suffer these things before He would enter His glory. And then His disciples realized who He was. After their conversation with Him, they would say to one another, it's recorded in Luke chapter 24 to 32, we're not our hearts burning within us while He talked with us on the road and opened the Scriptures to us, we're not our hearts burning when God spoke to us. I imagine Andrew's heart to be burning after he spent that night listening to Jesus and seeing the truth. So much so that he felt compelled to go and bring his brother to see Jesus, too. As disciple makers, let us also check where we're spending. time To be a credible witness, we must spend time with Jesus. It's not enough that we know a lot about Him. When you spend time with God in His Word, you are listening. You are gaining insight into the mind of God. When you read your Bible, don't just think about all the things that you need to know. See Jesus. Behold Him. He is still revealing Himself to you, to us today. If we've been spending time with Jesus, then we could say, look, in His Word, He spoke to me. Just when I was feeling down, He spoke to me through that Scripture. He has ordered my life and He satisfies my longings. He is the one who gives me meaning. He is the one who gives me purpose. In 2 Corinthians 3, 18, it says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory, another, You see, it's in beholding Jesus, in looking at Him for who He is, that our lives can be truly impacted by His life today. It's in beholding Him that we know we're not the light. You know, when you behold Jesus, there's no other posture than to be humble because of how amazing He is, how glorious He is. And we realize we're nothing. And then we also live with the the attitude that we're not the light. He is. We're nothing. It is in beholding Jesus that we will find true rest. We will find energy and love and sheer joy no matter what we face in this world. After spending time with Him, we can say to somebody else, I found Christ. He's changed me. Come, see him. Spend time with him today. You see, Jesus began the relationship with Andrew by asking, what is it that you want? And he is asking you, what is it that you want? After Andrew opens his heart to Jesus and after he spends time with him, Andrew then says to the brother, I found the Messiah. I have found what I am seeking for. I have found what I truly long for. The gospel relates to your deepest longings and desires. And Jesus today is willing to satisfy them. If you would open the door of your heart, would you stand with me? As we pray together. In the book of Revelation, it says that he is knocking the door of your heart. Would you let him in? You see, that's our God. He comes, he reveals himself to us, but he wants you to choose. He wants you to love him. He doesn't want to force it on you because that's not love. He wants you to see for yourself. Is this what you are looking for? Is He truly the Son of God, the one who could save you and change your life? Lord Jesus, we thank You so much for Your Word. We thank You for Your goodness, Your love, Your truth. Lord, I ask for every person who is seeking you that they would know you are never too busy to respond to those who earnestly seek after you and Lord I just ask that you would give them the eyes to see you to behold you that they would know the truth and the truth will set them free give us spiritual eyes to see Lord even for those of us who may be running from the Lord, perhaps we th- we have thought about some things, or we have done some things that we feel make us unworthy or not ready to be following you. But Lord Jesus, I ask that in this moment that you would touch them with your grace, reminding them that your invitation is to con- simply to continue to follow. Continue to come and continue to see. So, Lord, we thank you again for your awesome word. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.